Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here with the podcast series Capability Amplifier, which would be impossible if I didn't have my partner, Mike Koenigs. And Mike, you expanded my brain in the last episode where you were talking about your new tool. You're kind of a guide to people developing their own unique capability based, first of all, on what makes them really feel like them and then manifesting this out in the world. And that becomes the medium of communication to attract people who are just perfect for them, if I can give a short synopsis of what you said. I'm going to bring you with me everywhere I go from now on. I think I was in the neighborhood. I think I was in the neighborhood. Mike, about 18 years ago, I wrote an essay. It was in a quarterly publication that I put out every year that was called Creative Destruction. And it struck me because I've been very politically interested, you know, from the earliest age because my mother was, and she really encouraged me to pay attention to politics. And, you know, one way of looking at the 20th century is that we had a 77-year war that started in 1914 and ended with the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. And it was a war between two tensions between individualism on the one hand and collectivism on the other. And it was worldwide and it involved everywhere. And it was, you know, a function of industrialization and then at the end moving into the digital economy. And I just got thinking one day and I said, it strikes me that things like capitalism and socialism are attempts to come to grips with something bigger. And the term that I gave to it, which, you know, really relates directly to the name of our podcast, I call it capableism. And I said, the big system that we all live in is that every individual, regardless of where they are, is born with an immediate natural desire to expand their capabilities in any way that they can. Depending on where they're born, the conditions, the circumstances of their birth, they either have real good opportunities to do that or it's restricted or it's negative. But there is this drive to expand capability on the individual level. And these other systems, capitalism, socialism, you know, things like science and technology and the marketplace organizations. These are ways of channeling lots of individual capabilities so you produce much bigger results that can serve everybody. A lot of people have said that they found this very comforting, this whole notion, you know, and that what you and I are doing, I'm taking a capability that I've developed you know, over many decades, and you're taking a capability, and we're putting two capabilities to create something that neither of us could create alone, but we both benefit from the combined capabilities. And that just strikes me as that's what works about the world. People uh, attempt to prevent this from happening or control how it happens, a great deal of unhappiness comes into play, you know, and happiness is just that feeling of recognizing your own capability, feeling the growth of your capability, and then the jump to expand your capability with other capability. I think the combining of capabilities is just one of the great natural drug-like feelings that we can have in our lives. I was just writing down something here, which really is co-creation or creation. And I'm going to just play back a few of the key words you talked about here, which is capableism. And 
when you just talked about the natural desire is to increase capabilities, it's really about we have a natural desire to fill space, to occupy space. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that from a spiritual perspective, and let's just assume for a moment that we believe in a mutual creator, which is, mm-hmm. and God created man in his own image, to become a fully realized human being is to be a creator. To be, if I, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but if they do, pay attention to the meaning, not the words, which is to become God. Mm-hmm. And co-creation is really about a union, right? And that is a perfect union. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, what are we put on this planet to do? It's to create, right? It's self-propagation. So mm-hmm. but it seems to me that capableism is one of the purest forms of being a creator and realizing that and seeing what you really are. In other words, to see yourself as God in his own image. There's a pure, pure concept and a sense and a feeling I get from that. And I resonate with it deeply. So once you talk a little bit about the book Capabilism, first of all, what was your big outcome, your goal? So if you said, I wrote this book for blank so that they can be, do, receive, have, get benefit result, what would you fill in the blanks there? Well, I'll tell you an experience I had that kind of triggered it. It was around 1990, and I was in New York at nighttime at Times Square, I've talked to people who have gone to New York for the first time, and they say, I just couldn't take the experience of Times Square. You know, it was packed. You know, all the lights were going off. It's got a tremendous light show that goes on in Times Square. And there was noisy, and there was honking, and people were shouting. And there seemed to be no unity whatsoever to anything that's going on. And I had this sudden feeling that everything I'm seeing is just teamwork, massive amounts of teamwork going on. And if you think of all the skills that are required to put on Times Square, just amazing. There was a bench there. They have kind of bleachers there, and they weren't doing a concert or anything. And I just climbed up on the bleachers, and I sat down, and I was just looking around. And I said, what an amazing, amazing ocean of teamwork that I'm in. And everybody who is here has a specific purpose that they're relying on a lot of other individuals to fulfill their purpose. The theaters, the restaurants, the street entertainers, and every other service that's being sold there. And uh, I said, what an amazing thing. Another one I have, there's a great whole food store on Columbus Circle. It's in the Time Warner building in New York, Upper Broadway. You go up Upper Broadway. You can sit and look down at the store, and, you know, it's just packed, and there's thousands and thousands of different products. And I said, what a massive amount of teamwork that actually created this store. But each person who goes in is just looking for two or three things. You know, they've got their list, but massive teamwork have allowed that to be a convenient experience. They get food from everywhere on the planet, but they take it home a couple blocks and then they have their food. And I was just really, really struck how nobody is in charge of this human teamwork, but because each individual is doing it for their own purposes, they have to cooperate with many other people to get what they want. They have to cooperate with everybody else. When people are talking, gee, the world is crazy and it's getting crazier and everything else. And I said, maybe that's just the experience of amplified capability. 
compare that to Red Square in Moscow, you know, it's kind of barren. And during the communist times, it's more lively now. But I said, you know, there's nothing going on here. Or North Korea, they have their equivalent of Red Square, and it's just vast, vast concrete guarded by troops and everything else. And I said, yeah, not a lot of teamwork going on right there, you know. And that's the difference in the world of where most people like to be. They like to be around a lot of spontaneous teamwork, massive teamwork. You probably live in Southern California for that reason. I live in Toronto. Toronto's exploding, you know. It's tripled in size since I've been here, 2 million to 6 million. And it's, it's got a third of all the construction cranes in North America right now are in Toronto. But it's just a nice feeling to be in a place that's just kind of growing and growing and growing through massive teamwork. So you talked about feelings of getting in touch with your feelings. My grandest feelings that I have as an individual is being in really creative teamwork with other people. And is that to you what capableism is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, And just a little thing is that I can do a exercise of looking back where people, you know, I have this thing, I say, where have your 10 biggest jumps as an entrepreneur been? If you go back and identify your 10 biggest jumps, you know, it's interesting because people had never identified them before. But the moment you use the words, go back and identify your big jumps, they can do it in about 10 minutes, maybe a minute a piece, and they get their jumps. I said, now, what was unique about that, and they were all where they were in teamwork with other people, and they produced a much bigger result than they could by themselves. And it's unfailing. It always comes out that way. It's never something that they did on their own, alone, isolated. It's always something where they combine their capabilities with somebody else. Interesting. So I'm going to just reflect back what I hear, which is capableism is the ability to work in or as a team. And when you go back and you talk to people and you say, where have you had your biggest jumps? And that would be career in life. And others, those are going to be the distinctions where you made an evolutionary shift. Yeah. In this case, I make it specific to their entrepreneurial career. Okay. So give me an example. If you think about someone, maybe in strategic coach, for example, someone that you've been working with who you're just blown away with their evolution, their shift, their development, both personally and professionally. They may have had like a big win, a big exit or something. Describe a big jump that you observed in them or maybe a series of them because, again, it's not uncommon for people to be inside strategic coach for a decade or longer. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is a fabulous series of shameless plugs for being inside <laughs> strategic coach. Yeah, well, I have 40 who have been more than 25 years. So Good I've got God, that's amazing. quarter century people. So what you're telling yeah. me is you got a lot of old people in there. I'm just messing with you, Dan. Okay, so think of one person in particular or even two, some big jumps that you saw from the time they started working with you. So maybe someone out of the 25, it's like they came to me a greenhorn, suddenly this, this, and this happened, and here they are several years later exited with billion dollar something something and shifted their relationship with their family their wife or you know what were some of those things yeah well it's really easy because i just created a new program called the game changer and almost everybody who came in has a track record of making really significant shifts but i'll talk about the first one who's signed his name is ninad and he's from mumbai and he's a space planner and architect and he was in Mumbai, and he came into Strategic Coach, 
And within five years, he had taken his business 10 times. And he did it through strategic collaboration with six other major cities in India that are really part of India's modern connection to the rest of the world. And he had jumped to six other cities and he had gone from, you know, maybe a couple dozen employees to over a hundred employees. Now he was a big deal, but to come into the game changer, the qualification is that you have to have a collaboration with another equally successful company. And what he wanted was he always was brought in long after a project was planned, and his space planning and his architecture really had to do with working within other people's already existing projects. So he wanted to start coming right from scratch, and he has done a strategic collaboration with a 100-year-old firm in Chicago, and this firm wants to go into India And he knows everybody they can work with in India, and they will bring him in at the very ground floor of all the projects that they build in India. This is huge. He'll go another 10 times very, very quickly when he does this. And he says, I want to learn the complete process of what it means to take 10 square blocks and build a major new development and do it all from the beginning so that the space planning and the architecture, and he doesn't want to be in construction. He just wants to be at the beginning of projects, you know, and he said, I can do much better, satisfying, creative work for the project if I can be there as one of the beginning partners. And it's really interesting. He, you know, he's, when he came into coach, maybe about 35, you know, and just a marvelous guy, you know, just a pleasure to be with. He's got a real effervescent spirit about him, and he's gregarious and very personable and very self-aware. You get a sense of enormous amount of self-awareness. So, I mean, that would just be an example. We announced the Game Changer at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we had his registration and check at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. He said, I'm in. He said, this is my next jump. So this is the sort of thing. But notice that he's massively increasing his teamwork with this Chicago collaboration. And, you know, they're all over the world, but they're not in India, and they just didn't have an in to India. So he's their in into India. But they are his in into a whole much more dimensional service offering in the marketplace. So that would be an example. Okay. Now, as I was listening to you, I can't help but think, again, I want to deconstruct a little bit of his capabilism. Because if you think about this, the greatest leverage you can ever get, and you said this in a previous episode about how people buy people, they don't buy products, they don't buy services. They certainly will buy experiences Mm -hmm. amplified with the right personality, the right person. But if you were going to look at Ninad's unique ability, what is his unique ability in your mind that makes him so good at doing what he's doing and has been? Yeah, I think he's got enormous visualization capability, so he can see a blank space, and he can see it filled in almost immediately. I mean, he has a sense to see what this space can be at its maximum benefit to the people who are coming in. So I would say that he has almost like a preternatural ability to just see a finished product when everybody else just sees a blank space. 
Good. Now I know you're doing your tool right now. <laughs> oh, uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, uh, this is so interesting because uh, what I, I love doing, of course, is deconstructing yeah. capabilism, right? And saying, okay, what's the story? What's the dialogue one has in one's head to shift consciousness and become great at it? Because I couldn't help but think that one of his other unique abilities must be his ability to connect. So, you know, in your case, it's visualize, it's vision. And then he must use that unique capability and communicate that vision mm -hmm. in a way that inspires others. And they go, I want to be part of whatever you're doing. Yeah. So they see him as an accelerator, interesting capability accelerator. He's an accelerator for vision and visioning. But talk a little bit about his ability to inspire and connect and that capability too, because that, of course, is just cultivating relationships and teamwork is unquestionably among one of, if not one of the most valuable skills we'd ever have as a human. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. And I picked this up when he first came in because not everybody shows up on my radar screen when they attend their first workshop. I'll have 50, 60 people, so they don't all make an impact on me, but I just started talking to him because he made a point of connecting with me when he came into his first workshop. So he, you know, he registered. I just got this massive sense of caring. You know, it was very undisputable that he's got the technical skills that he needs to be at the top of his game, but he has this massive caring and people who know him, like I have a growing number of people who come from India for the program, and they say, you know, his people love him. The people that work for him just love him. And part of it is he just keeps creating a bigger future so they can implement their skills. And I think we love people who constantly give us a bigger world to actually demonstrate our skills. I think there's an enormous human love that we have towards people who create a bigger framework for us. We don't have the skill to do it for ourselves. And I'd like you to reflect this because of what you're doing now on the one-to-one -one capability amplifier that you're doing with your clients right now. They are going to love you for this because you're giving them a bigger framework to operate in skills they already have but have never been fully expressed, fully manifested. You use the word manifest. I think as long as we continually experience opportunities to manifest our skills and our capabilities and our usefulness on a larger level, it engenders enormous love for the people who let us do that. Yes. So I'll speak from experience. My last business, You Everywhere Now, our greatest claim to fame inside there is we helped over 1,700 people become best-selling authors, launch mm. books. And as far as I know, that's the largest volume of any oh, yeah. body. And we did it in workshops and through digital products. And our big promise is you'd show up at an event and three days later, you'd guaranteed walk away a number one best-selling author. And what made us really unique is we had some software that helped make that happen. And you don't have to actually write your book. You have 90 days to finish writing it. The other event we have is something called Speak and Profit, where people show up and over a period of three days, everyone performs a 10-minute speech in front of a live audience and gets feedback from every single person there but you're on stage, it gets photographed and videoed in front of an audience, which is one of the hardest things to get, which is getting an audience, getting real feedback, your dog and your kids and your spouse don't count or your mom, and 
the pressure of the stage, mm-hmm. not to mention the social proof you get along there. But in my experience, being a best-selling author, no matter whether it's an Amazon or New York Times, is one of the fastest ways to accelerate your visibility and your value. Same with speaking. Speaking is minute for minute the most valuable skill on the planet. Mm-hmm. And your ability to just get an audience to follow you. I mean, you can make your career with a 10-minute speech. You look at what Ted's done for so many folks. So reflecting back to what you said, which is people love people who give us a bigger world and allow us to demonstrate or display our skills or and experience an opportunity to manifest our skills. That's essentially what happened. And the loyalty and the love, I mean, to this day, the number of messages I get from, you know, writing my book with you opened up my world for blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I got these people who are multi-million dollar earners now and their first book sucked. You know, it wasn't good, but they Mm -hmm. did it. They got it done. Mm -hmm. And we gave them, you know, a platform, a structure to operate within. And as you would say, a framework. So, you know, if we pull back from this and think about capableism and what that means, we talked about in a previous episode, the value of experiences, the value of buying Mm -hmm. people and shifting from being a human doing to a human being, getting paid for who you are versus what you do or what you know. It tells me that when you look at the future and what the world needs, where the greatest opportunities are, it's in innovation. It's in leadership. Mm -hmm. It is in building experiential frameworks that amplify and manifest our skills. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the one, it's not ironic, but it's interesting. The best way to amplify and multiply your value is by building a platform, you know, writing a book and speaking, Mm -hmm. you're getting media attention and growing and building your audience and your list. And we live in a moment now where anyone in the connected planet can press a button and broadcast to the entire human race for free, unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And you've got billions of people creating a whole bunch of crap that doesn't matter. Yeah, And that's because it's a channel about you. And when your focus is on capableism as a civic duty or responsibility, That is the true way. So again, I think the distinction you bring up here, which is really important, is that of being a framework operator. What an invaluable skill set to cultivate and be able to create a vision larger than you that can be realized by someone to desire that and the loyalty and the friendship and the depth of the relationship Mm -hmm. for as long as it will be. I think that's quite profound. Yeah, and you know, I often think when people choose each other as life partners, one of the dimensions that enters into it is that if I team up with this person throughout my life, I'm going to grow in the way that's most important to me. And where it doesn't work, I think that that proved not to be the case. You know, they didn't grow. Each interfered with the other's growth as they talked about it. And that's, you know, I had a practice marriage before I ended up with the gold standard. Right on. And, you know, I learned a lot from that, that I was expecting the other person to create the growth track for me, you know, and I don't know what her view of it was, but 
Babs and I really got clear about that right from the beginning, and we've been clear 36 years now we've been together. We made T-shirts for her birthday last year, and the T-shirts were No Babs, No Coach. I was the author of the saying. I said, there's no way in the world that there's any strategic coach program company today unless I had linked up with Babs. And I think we invest in other people because the return we're looking for is mutual growth that allows each individual to actually grow. I agree. And as you evolve, you know, your organization, your business, I guess just my only commentary there about Babs and you and Coach is how the company really is a reflection of the founders and their unwavering values and the clear boundaries Mm -hmm. that you establish, which gets back to a framework. You know, the clearer and more defined the boundaries are. Yeah. Yeah. So in the current political situation, if I read the New York Times, the Washington Post, which I do online, and the commentary, there's this saying at the media level and at the intellectual level that the United States has never been as hated as it is today. Okay, so that's the message. But there's actually indicators to check out whether that's true. And there's a worldwide survey every year of up to 100,000 individuals who would like to emigrate somewhere else than where they live. And they said, if you could actually go where you want to go, 70% of them say, I'd like to move to the United States. Okay, so they'd like to move to the most hated country on the planet. Okay, so when they go a little bit deeper, they say, well, what are the reasons? And the main reason is that if I really develop myself and create the way that I want to create, create my life, it won't be taken away from me. Mm. They have laws that I can keep what I create. And that's kind of a general response. I mean, it's said in different ways around the planet. What I feel about the media and why the media is so negative right now, they have to create a reason why they're so negative. So they choose a certain individual to be really, really negative. But in fact, they thought their future was going to expand and expand and expand. And it's actually the mainstream media's future that's been taken away. You know, a New York Times correspondent will walk onto a floor where there used to be 80 people and now there's 20 people because the internet has taken away the power of that media. I mean, Facebook and Google now are responsible for more ads than all the printed media in the world right now. And advertising, you know, remember everybody's shocked that Harvey Weinstein got taken down and it was a New York Times article that actually triggered him being taken down. Somebody said, well, how was this not reported on? The Times had this article seven years ago, okay? And somebody went in and showed that the amount of advertising dollars that Miramax gave to the New York Times has dropped by 70% over the last seven years. Harvey wasn't paying enough to get protected by the New York Times anymore. (laughs) You know, I mean, you want to know the reason why he was exposed? He wasn't paying them enough to protect him, you know, and it's kind of an interesting thing. I said there wasn't a sudden awakening of morality at the New York Times. He just wasn't providing enough incentive 
to stifle a story, you know, and you name it. So I think there's a general PTSD depression in the media world right now where the advertising dollars just aren't there. The eyeballs are not there anymore. The loyalty isn't there anymore. I mean, I don't read those papers like a whole paper, I go to a site which is called Real Clear Politics, which is an aggregator of the 50 best stories for today. And the New York Times is lucky if they can get two of their stories on this aggregator, you know? Uh, <laughs> how interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's the most amazing aggregator. It's Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Science, Real Clear Technology. And they just pull sites and they just give you a link to the site. And from my perspective, they're completely politically unbiased. Wow. You know, First thing in the morning, I get up and I read it. And I'll read five or ten articles that I wouldn't have found, but they found it for me. And it's really good. So that's what's happened to the media world. So i got to believe in every newsroom and every news bureau and every journalism thing, there's a massive sense of depression because, you know, the numbers are declining. Their buddies are gone. The employment is down. But the depression isn't because of any particular news item or any particular development that they're reporting on. They're just depressed because their future has been taken away from them. And what a pile of bullcrap that is, you know, the giving up your power and your sovereignty. I mean, that is the antithesis of what being an American is all about, living under the illusion that it's someone else's responsibility. Now, I can understand the keep what I've earned keep what's mine, because that is, in fact, what capitalism should be, yeah. is about. And taxation, by its very nature, is anti-American, in my opinion. It's necessary, but not at the levels it is. Well, you know, I mean, to define it correctly, it's legally sanctioned theft. Yes, it absolutely is, especially at the rates that we're at now. But this idea that the narrative that's been propagated and allows to continue being that it's someone else's responsibility, you know, again, it is anti-capabilism. Yeah, yeah. It's incapabilism. And it's funny because here's something else that happened. I started doing this program that I call this MAP program where I started advising and working with these one-on-one -on -one people. It was a way for me to reinvent myself by helping other people reinvent themselves. That's truly what happened. And as soon as I started that, and I started working on this next level tools and resources, which are, again, just capability amplifiers, I haven't paid attention to the news and media mm -hmm. at all for five months. I'm completely mm -hmm. oblivious to what's going on. I spend no time on social media now, mm -hmm. and I have no chaos in my life. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. the viewers can't see this. You can I mean, I am on the ocean right now across the street. This is my life. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. That's all I do is spend time here. And I found giving up this attachment, especially giving away my power, which is really what, for me, media consumption became because mm -hmm. I felt that creeping feeling. Now, you know, I can create a safe container to allow it to exist if I want to indulge, but at a minimum, just treat it as entertainment. But it is within the line of the book and the content and the message, again, I think this is a dangerous realm we live in where so many people have bought into what has become a mass depression, which is someone else is actually in charge of how I think. Yeah, Because that really is what this comes down to is not what I have, but how I think and what I believe. 
that is a gross hypnosis that, again, from my line of thinking, the Trump system has done a miraculously powerful job of propagating and completely dominating and taking over a narrative that's, in my opinion, nonsensical poop. But a lot of people bought into it, right? And continued. Yeah. It's, it's astonishing how such a single-minded, low-frequency message could permeate the minds of so many people, including every media outlet, because they know it generates clicks. Everyone's getting their needs served by catering to the lowest common denominator. Again, well, the antithesis of what capitalism is. Well, I have a different view, as you know. Yeah, yeah. I always like your view. And Yeah, and my sense is, and I go back to a statement I made that the 20th century was a 77-year war, and war builds up a lot of fat in the system of people who make a lot of money and really aren't creating anything of value. My sense of it with the current president is that the one party, the Democratic Party, had always won because they could shame the Republican nominee with inconsistencies in his personal life. You could take Romney down, you could take anybody down, because you would point out an inconsistency in his personal life, his moral life, or his ethical life. And the current president is absolutely shameless. If you throw a boomerang at him, you get it back in your face. And the reason is their kill shots kind of bounce off, and they've never dealt with a creature like this, but their entire skill set was taking down the other person, and he just, it all bounces back. It's like watching the coyote and the roadrunner, you know, I mean, not to mix metaphors here, but I think he's the honey badger of the political world, you know, he doesn't give a shit, and he treats cobra bites like it's Ambien, 10-minute Ambien, and he just, you know, he'll take a rest for 10 minutes, then he comes back and eats the cobra. So my thesis is that the presidency of the United States is one of the most wild-card political positions in the world in the sense that virtually everybody, when there's the possibility of a new occupant, two years before, you could not predict who that person would be. And the system is geared to good or bad. It can tolerate it for four years or eight years, whatever it is, and it'll add a new twist to things. And so my sense is that he's a counteractive to his predecessor, who was just the opposite. And there was a balancing that was needed, especially at the regulatory level and the tax level. But the other thing is, the rest of the world had learned how to live off the United States taxpayers and consumers. And he just said, okay, the war's over, and now we're going to go back, and we're just going to put all the emphasis on the sovereignty of the United States. And there's going to be no more multilateral deals. Every deal is straight on. And I bet I can take the 100 best deals that represent the U.S. government, and I can find 4% more GDP in those deals if I just rework them. I think that's what's happening right now. I think he's a born political genius who spent 50 years in the business world. <laughs> it's fascinating. So Yeah, I think his greatest ability is that he's super smart and can convince his enemies that he's completely stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... No, I mean, it's just my take on it. Yeah, and it's fascinating because I remember the first time you started talking about him, I almost didn't like you anymore. I was like, what the hell? What's the... This guy's such a freaking, 
I got emotional and I thought, well, I got to look at it through the filter. And But think about it in your terms of someone capturing the narrative that everybody else has to respond to. From that perspective, I couldn't agree more. I have nothing but respect for the fact that it's so effective. You know, the New York Times makes more money on clicks to Trump stuff and has more articles about them than anything else and has, right? They truly are a bunch of whores. I mean, here's the thing. Every other politician wants to be loved. Yeah. You know, and they especially want the media to love them. Mm -hmm. So he comes along and I says, I wonder if it works that your strategy is just that you want to be as hated as much as possible just because you'll take all the oxygen out of the, the air. And he says, I don't mind being hated. You know, he says, I love it. Actually, it feels good. You know, I mean. It's totally twisted. Yeah. No, it's like Zen. He's like a Zen master. You know, your best blow, he will use it to defeat you, you know. So anyway, I think he's unique in American history. There's been unique characters. But my feeling is, the way the Constitution is constructed, they've created this position of the president to be a wild card. And it favors an outsider. It does not favor anyone. Hillary, she was dead from day one because she was an insider. And it was time for another outsider, you know. Yeah, unquestionably. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, but I just look at an individual, you know, try to abstract but just where is the country right now? And it's basically saying to China, you know, modern China was actually created by U.S. taxpayers and U.S. consumers. And we don't like your tariffs, so we'll just up your tariffs. And we know where your breaking point is, and it's a lot quicker than ours. And so um, come up with a new deal, and we'll rearrange it, and this is it. And I think same thing's happening into Canada. We have 300% tariffs on dairy products up here. Last time a pound of American butter was sold into Canada was about 60 years ago, you know. And he said, 300%. He said, he says, you know, if I could get dairy farmers in Minnesota to sell dairy products into Canada, I bet I'll take, in 2020, I bet I'll take Minnesota too, you know. (laughs) I mean, I know how he thinks, you know. We have a writer. I just have to tell you a story. I think it actually is a tremendous insight into how Trump actually works. So he bought Merlago, which is this monstrous mansion in Palm Beach. And, you know, it's got about 70 rooms. And it was just a white elephant. Nobody could buy it. Nobody wanted it. But he bought it, you know. And then he bought it. And he suddenly realized that private planes were flying over on their way to the airport right over his mansion. So he petitioned Palm Beach to stop that. He said he didn't want the planes flying over his mansion. You know, he sued them and everything else. It was going on for about seven years. And then he discovered that the only way you can stop planes from going over your mansion is if you're president of the United States. (laughs) Nice. Nice. There you go. And And I said... You know, the Democrats say, whatever he was, don't let the planes fly over his mansion. But Trump's the kind of guy who would say, yeah, I'll show you. You know, he says, if I, whatever I have to do, I'm going to get those planes going over my mansion. So he becomes president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I have to tell you, living in Canada for the last 47 years, Canadians are clueless about the United States, completely clueless. I mean, they have the foggiest idea. I said, the word that you have to go to right away, and all your wisdom will expand from understanding this word, is the word crazy. The United States is crazy. 
the only question is, is it bad crazy or good crazy? But it's the land of crazy. And we got a president who is the perfect representative of bad crazy and good crazy. <laughs> I happen to say if you enter into the equation and add character, then it's bad crazy. Because at the end of the day, I find him to be a characterless, low-frequency turd who I'd never want to be a friend to. But, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think. It's whether I decide that the thoughts affect me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say the neat thing about this is that you and I love working together. No, I mean, I've got my view and you've got your view, but we love, and that's what, in the final analysis, that's what really matters. On election day, I'll do one thing and maybe you'll do another, but that doesn't matter, you know? I think a good spirited conversation is more interesting than my ideals, so it doesn't matter to me at all. I love who you are and how you think, and every day with Dan Sullivan is a better day. (laughs) So let me ask you this question. Can I ask you a question? The capableism idea, where is that useful in your thinking going forward? And then I'll give my three things that people should think about here. Yeah. What I like is, again, I wouldn't naturally think or come up with the notion that capableism has to do with team, you know, human teamwork. But it makes sense, right? So capableism, if someone said, what do you think that means? I would say it means constantly adding capabilities and having the ability to add more capabilities all the time. And interestingly, capability amplifier, right? It's the name of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Capabilism is a natural capability amplifier. But when you put it in the context of using teamwork, now it expands it even further because suddenly the size of a functional well-groomed, resonant team can add, you know, we're talking about not exponential, but factorial results to anyone or anything. And that's super intriguing. So I think for me, I look at it and I can't help but think that using the term on a regular basis and say, where can I insert capabilism here will allow me to expand my capabilities, my reach, my effectiveness And more importantly, the quality of the experiences that I can provide other people. You know, as an entrepreneur, it's oftentimes it's lonely being an entrepreneur. But we forget to ask for help. Yeah. And being a capable person is being willing to ask for help and know that it doesn't mean you're not capable. Yeah. And just talking about this, I'd like to go back and say something that I would have said in the last episode about the new way that you're helping people magnify themselves in the marketplace. I think it isn't coach, coachee. I think it's actually a new form of teamwork that you're bringing a whole line of capability and converging it with a whole line of capability on another person's capability, and you're creating a third something that neither of you could have created alone. You become better in the process, and they become better in the process, and that it's actually a a very, very sophisticated, very refined, very focused kind of teamwork that you found after all the years of experience you have, you're now capable of with a certain kind of person who also has to have a lot of experience and come to a completely new realization in their life that they cannot do this without teamwork. They can only do it with 
teamwork with you, and you need this type of person to do teamwork. You know, what you learn from one person, one relationship automatically spills over to all your other relationships. So if you have 15 of them, you've just multiplied the learning by uh, 150 times or 1,500 times. So just three things I'd like to leave. First of all, the book is available as a free download as an ebook. You can just go to strategiccoach.com forward slash go forward slash capableism. And we have audio, we have video. It's a complete set of tools that comes with us and everybody can download it. Great gift. Awesome. Yeah. And the three things, just accept that your whole life is about expanding your capabilities your happiness really comes when you can expand your capabilities. And number two, you have to zero in on just what your unique capabilities are so that, number three, you can link your unique capabilities up with other individuals. And if you can do that, life is going to constantly amplify. I agree. I don't know what else to say except I'm on the same page with you. And, Dan, this has been another super thought-provoking conversation. We did mix politics. That was interesting. Didn't know if we'd ever go there, but it was fun, thought-provoking to you. But we did it elegantly. We did. And I will definitely say that in our next episode, I've got something planned that will shift how you communicate and think and deliver your capabilities to the finest, most refined, high-quality customer you could ever imagine. I've used this tool. I did it with one of my clients, and what it did for them is she tripled her revenue in 30 days as a result of it. So it'll be a really fun case story and study, and it's been used over and over again. Changes the lives of entrepreneurs who think they're miserable, and it gives you permission to really feel good about who you are and your business simultaneously. It's a simple shift, and it's very functional and implementable, too. How's that, Dan? That's, what do they call it? That's an irresistible offer. Yes, it is. All right. Well, it's been awesome once again, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.